Hi, this is Seth Mosley. You're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today we have with us in-house Leslie Jordan from All Sons and Daughters. For those of you guys who are fans of All Sons and Daughters, you know what they're about. You know why they are becoming one of the most popular sought-after worship bands in the world now. And Leslie was gracious enough to take some time out of her busy schedule to come and chat with us. Share with us about her story, moving to Nashville, becoming one of the leading worship songwriters in the country, and now touring and working on their new record, Poets and Saints. I definitely cannot say that I've ever made a record the way that they did this one, so you're going to want to stick around and hear how they did that. But before we jump in, just wanted to make sure that you're aware the last couple spots for the Music Makers Boot Camp are still available, and here's a quick message about it. Are you an aspiring artist, producer, or songwriter? Have you ever wanted to break into the music business but didn't know where to start? Would you be interested in spending a weekend with some of the leaders in the industry? Well, here is your opportunity. It's called the Music Makers Boot Camp, and it's happening January 25th through 28th live in Franklin, Tennessee. It's going to be happening at the legendary Sound Kitchen Studios, where records like Taylor Swift, Paramore, Keith Urban, Bruce Springsteen, and many more have been made. You'll be learning in these rooms where multi-platinum songs have come to life, and we'll be bringing in some of the best and the brightest who are doing it every day to share their wisdom, knowledge, and experience. This is a great opportunity for you to take your music production, songwriting, or artistry skills to the next level. The music industry doesn't have to be some big secret. Me and the other coaches really want to share what we are doing with you. Come and learn it with us. Registration is now open at fullcirclegoeslive.com. Again, that's fullcirclegoeslive.com. It's limited to only 40 spots, so get yours now. These sell out quick, so don't miss your chance. I'll see you there. So head over and check that out, and let's jump into the studio with Leslie Jordan from All Sons and Daughters here on the Full Circle Music Show. Seth Mosley here with uh, my lovely co-host. How's it going, guys? It's X. (laughs) X O'Connor. And um, in-house today, we've got with us uh, from All Sons and Daughters, Leslie Jordan. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. We were just kind of talking podcasts, and uh, I'm a podcast junkie. I guess sounds like you maybe are too. <laughs> I am. I get really excited when people go, "Hey, what podcast should I listen to?" I'm like, yeah. "Ooh, <laughs> what are you into? Yeah. Funny, <laughs> serious, stories, sermons." Yeah, which type of podcast? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Do you sit down and listen to like the three hour? What's the guy's name who does oh, no, like I've the four heard, hour I've podcast? I've heard about those though. Oh, there's there's a quite a few. He dives super. He's one of the top guys. All yeah. the time. I can't completely drawing a blank on the name, but. I'm kind of just like, when does anybody have four hours? No, to- yeah, definitely not. The longest podcast I'll listen to is usually like an hour and a half, and I'll have to split it up. Yeah. I listened to one the other day with Richard Rohr, and they had split the podcast into two. And so I listened to the one, and I was like feverishly taking notes, and I was like, I'm going to have to come back to this. And so it was like two 45-minute segments, and that was... Well, you kind of have to like process it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's like, yeah. how do you process four hours worth of... No. There's no way. I'd have forgotten the first three hours. <laughs> yeah. <by> the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So why don't you just kind of share your story? We've gotten to know each other a little bit, but I'd love to hear your backstory. How, how yeah. did you get 
into music? How did you yeah. move to Nashville? Oh, what, what's the whole, I mean, go, 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 go all the way back. back. Go yeah. way back. <laughs> I grew up around music. Like music was always on. My dad had a story for every song. You know, it was like, oh, prom, 19, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if I want to hear this story or not. Um, <laughs> and so music was just a huge part of my upbringing. My, my dad sang in the choir at church. There was always music on. So I grew up singing, and I think it was around second or third grade I asked for my first instrument, the violin, and I was terrible at it. So <laughs> I only played the violin for about a year and then got a guitar in fourth grade. You can't grade. really just dabble in violin. Yeah. You really <laughs> you can't. Commit. Yeah, nobody told me that. Nobody told me that. They're like, yeah, sure, go for it. Uh, twinkle, Twinkle, yeah. Little Star, also known as the ABCs. Yeah, was, you a- know, the melodies are great for, yeah. you know, multiple songs, yeah. but I gave that up pretty quickly. Didn't have that discipline to learn that instrument. So guitar in fourth grade. And I started writing songs when I was in middle school and like, you know, teenage angsty middle school songs about my parents' divorce and, you know, my siblings and (laughs) all the things (laughs) that like- A little Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Oh man, I loved Alanis Morissette. So of course, yeah. Jagged Little Pill. Um, So it wasn't until, it wasn't until high school that I got into worship music. This is, it's interesting. The more people I talk to about this, this was kind of their story, especially back in the 90s, you know, and early 2000s. If you played an instrument, they needed you in the praise band. You mm. know, it's like, oh, you played the acoustic guitar. You're the worship leader. Yeah. <laughs> what? And so I was 15 and got kind of roped into doing that. And uh, I didn't really want to do it, you know, coming out of writing those angsty teenage songs. It didn't, the, those two things didn't make a whole lot of sense in the same breath for me. But I did it and then continued to write songs and all through high school and college. And then in college, my junior year, I, f- I fell in love with the church. So I it was it was kind of out of nowhere. Was a part of a church plant actually in Hawaii. That was a I took a little internship out there in college and uh, fell in love with this church plant out there. And and really, for me, that kind of solidified my path. I was like, I want to. I actually do want to work in this ministry. I want to work for a church and lead worship. And had never written worship songs before. Uh, but moved back to Nashville and got involved at Journey Church here. A couple years later, met a guy named David Leonard who was playing rock music and trying to figure things out. And so that's kind of where the the birth of All Sons and Daughters happened was both of us felt this desire to write songs for the church, but neither one of us had done it before. Mm. So it was kind of interesting how we came from two different sides of the the spectrum because I had never I had never gone into the music industry. I had seen kind of the negative side of it when I was 18. I was offered a music a record deal at 18 and, and I turned it down. Some of the things about it, I was like, I don't know. So I had this like stiff arm perspective of the music industry and especially the Christian music industry. I was like, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. What about it seemed kind of negative at the time? Uh, I think for me, I was still working out my identity. You know, you're 18 mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know who I was. And I saw from this um, perspective, a lot of people who were, more eager to tell me who I was than help than help me figure that out on my own. Mm-hmm. And so it, it seemed very opportunistic from their perspective. And so I yeah. think I just had a lot of red flags and I was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable letting you tell me who I am as opposed to me just kind of sorting through it on my own. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how that would have turned out had I said yes. I mean, it could have been an amazing opportunity, but it's interesting, you know, we were talking about the Enneagram a second ago. A lot of my decisions are based out of fear. So I was like, well, 
you know, I don't, I don't want to do that because that sounds yeah. kind of scary doesn't and unsafe. Feel right. Doesn't yeah. feel right. Yeah. Um, but you know, David and I came from two really different sides of the spectrum. He had been in the music industry for a long time. We met and kind of had this really pure intention to just provide our songs or provide our church with songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had no idea what was going to happen after that. So yeah, yeah. I think that's actually really great advice for any artist that might be listening to this that I think a lot of people move to Nashville or move to LA or wherever they move with the intention of wanting to be the next big thing and they go to meeting after meeting trying to figure out who's their label or whatever and it's more a question of well what are you looking to sign right now I'll be that yeah you know yeah absolutely there's no longevity in that right I think you can actually make money at it yeah like you can actually I, we've been a part of a lot of projects that I know that it's like whose record are we making? Like, yeah. are we <laughs> like the artist leaves? Yeah. and are we supposed to like do everything on it? Yeah. And like, it's like, are you just guys guesting on ours or yeah. right. on yours? Or? Yeah, and it's different ways. I guess it's not right or wrong. It's just I do believe the way that you have went about it. There's a lot more longevity because it comes from you. Yeah, and you're always going to be you. Yeah, you're. A lot of people get disillusioned after living in Nashville for five or ten years because they go, am I this person? Am I this person? They want this from me. They want this. Yeah. So I commend you for sticking to your guns on that. <laughs> Out of fear, no fear. That's uh, that's where we landed on that one. Right, you know, it's interesting. We, we meet and talk with a lot of, you know, new artists in this town and and we caution people because for, and not just, you know, for the industry's sake, but even from our story, like we, we say you, you have to test and see, and you have to figure out what your path looks like. And for us, this was obviously the the path we chose. And, but, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, who come to Nashville with a dream and would just rather someone tell them the ending, Yeah, yeah. you know? And, and a lot of times that, that road is a lot longer and is a lot harder and comes with a lot more heartache. Yeah. We definitely love talking with new folks who come to town and hopefully encourage and not discourage in that way. Yeah. Well, when you guys were starting out as an act, did you have anyone that kind of helped guide you as well? I know you said you hesitated to sign anything when you were younger, but as you guys matured and, and you started looking to actually do this professionally, was there anyone that kind of helped you guys figure out your way? Yeah, and that's kind of a funny story too because we, um, at the time, David was ready to come off the road and I still had that like, you know, stiff arm stance like, nope, I don't want anything to do with the industry. And uh, so we just recorded these songs and gave them to our church. And I was like, well, that was easy. You know, you can be a musician and you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to do anything, you yeah. know, or sign anything. And we had a friend come along who who was a part of our church at the time and she was working for our current label now, Integrity Music. She was mm-hmm. doing, kind of trying to develop some live event stuff for them. But she and David were really good friends and had been for several years throughout his whole career. She had kind of been in and out. And uh, she called him one day and she was like, I just got this music from church and I love singing these songs. What the heck are you guys doing? And would you consider having a conversation that maybe looks a little deeper into this story? He knew my answer would be no pretty much right away. <laughs> and uh, so he was like, hey, Natalie and I are driving by your house. I just had a conversation with Teresa. Is there any way we can stop by your house? And uh, so Natalie and, and David came over and sat with my husband, Thomas, and I. And, mm-hmm. 
And uh, we just dove into that conversation and we said, all right, well, here are my hesitations and here were David's hesitations and us as families, what are our non-negotiables? And and so I think that for me was a really, it was a good way of kind of baby stepping into it. So, cause we weren't out looking for a record deal. It really mm-hmm. kind of came to us. You know, the question was, would you be willing to explore this further? And, uh, and so we did have to make that decision to go, yeah, we're willing, mm-hmm. uh, but only with, you know, these non-negotiables in place. And our label has been incredible for us because they have our non-negotiables were that we continue to serve at our church. That's that's the primary thing that we do, and without it, it doesn't make any sense. And so they have just been consistently supportive of what we do and behind us. And so it it definitely worked out way better than I think we could have ever imagined. That's but, great. Yeah. And that meaning no touring on Sundays, basically? Yeah, or? I mean, we've had to. That's just kind of the nature. And the label never dictated that for us. Like, that's that's been the beautiful thing is they've been very open-handed with how much we tour. We tour because we know it supports the efforts of the projects we're making, you know? And because we love relationships with worship leaders and other churches and communities, and we've had some really great opportunities. But the label's never asked that of us. We've just kind of set that as a standard for ourselves. We're going to balance time away mm-hmm. with time at home and make sure that when we're home, if it's on the weekends, we're engaged with our community and mm-hmm. we're engaged in our small groups throughout the week and uh, we're tethered. And I think a lot of times worship bands and, and folks who are writing worship songs, there is a, a tendency to untie yourself so that you're more available to go and, and do things. But our mm-hmm. our biggest thing is stay tethered, stay connected, stay rooted, and watch yeah. kind of how God uh, does stuff through that. That's kind of just good advice to anybody in music. I mean, yeah, you've got to have sure. your you've got to have your people outside of, you know. I mean, I, I it's it's kind of interesting because I used to have the mentality of like you got to you got to kind of separate the two there's like work and there's your friends and then yeah. over the years I've kind of just found that my friends are have become the people that I work with yeah. and I guess there's not really anything wrong with that yeah you know it's just sort of the nature of the beast yeah um but I do think like you said it's important to be tethered to people who are actually whether those are people that you do work with or not to have a a home base. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell people all the time, road life is like fantasy land. You know, you have very little responsibility. You're, you can sleep till noon if you want. <laughs> Some people don't even take their own stuff off the bus or the trailer. You know, like yeah. it's, it is, uh, you show up, there's a bowl of gummy bears in the green room every day. Or, <laughs> but you, you're like, all of your dreams come true. Was that true. one of your non-negotiables? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gummy bears? Uh, yes, absolutely. Organic though? Or, uh, definitely. Non-GMO. Definitely. And, uh, and so it's it's really easy, I think, and the more people we talk to about road life, it's like the transition of coming back home, that like re-entry period for a lot of people, especially if you're married, you're like, I don't know who you are because I haven't seen you for the last two weeks. And you're apparently a bachelor now because, you know, like it's totally. trying to sort out how to, how to have those relationships. So if you stay connected, if you stay intentional, it just makes that whole thing so much easier. Yeah. I mean, talk about poets and saints, because I, kn- I know your your guys's newest project has a very interesting story of even how you guys made it. Yeah, we <laughs> we thought we were going to do a project based around a group of people just studying their old writings. That was the original intent. It's like, man, what if we take this group of poets and saints, which was inspired by a quote from the play Our Town, and it's, does anyone ever experience life as they live it? The response was, no, saints and poets do. Some of them. 
And uh, so it kind of got us thinking like, man, what about these two groups of people? How do they stay so intentional and present in the moment? And could we learn something from their stories? And and so from that, it snowballed into a trip and it turned into a book and a curriculum for small groups and an album. And uh, before we knew it, we were in Europe for <laughs> two weeks with 13 people on a tour bus. And uh, we started in Northern Ireland and ended in Rome. Wow. And uh, each city, we had a different person that we studied and we took a film crew with us and uh, we talked about very human elements of their story. So C.S. Lewis, we talked about vulnerability and his uh, desire, even in his wrestle with God and with the church, he was so tied to this group of men and they would meet uh, weekly at the Eagle and Child in this pub in Oxford and they would, you know, talk about their stories, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, they're talking mm -hmm. about Lord of the Rings and Narnia and these crazy things Amazing. that we've read our whole lives. Um, and, uh, and the story that he took his whole life to write was the story um, called Till We Have Faces. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole idea that we live the majority of our life with this veil over our face and what would happen if we could live more authentically and, um, and so we, you know, we found ourselves in these places. We sat in the back of the eagle and child and and uh, and we talked about what vulnerability looks like for us. And so it was three or four of us and, and we would just have this dialogue and film it. And it turned into a seven week uh, small group study community experience uh, for people to go through together with your families, with your church, what, you know, however you want to do it. Um, but it was a much bigger project than we originally started out. <laughs> it was so much more chaotic. I was like, what have we done? Um, and our label was kind of confused. They're like, you want to um, you want to do what? And you're going to need uh, how, how, how much money to, yeah. to do this? And like, no, trust us. It's yeah. going to be awesome. And uh, and man, they just they did trust us and they sent us with their blessing. And we had an incredible time and we wrote 10 songs that correspond with 10 different poets and saints or maybe more i can't even remember how many songs we wrote now yeah uh but yeah it was a crazy experience yeah and i assume songs that you're you're leading in church or yeah i i guess this is an interesting question because i think a lot of people walk this line of well are there to you and and what all sons and daughters is are there artist songs and then are there songs that you specifically write for church yeah or is it kind of all just one thing for you I think for us uh, in the writing process, we tend to just write. And this project specifically, we looked at a lot of old hymns and that was really where we wanted to start anyway. So we would take words that, that these folks wrote. Like John Newton, for instance, is probably best known for Amazing Grace, but he wrote 300 other hymns in one year yeah. uh, alongside Amazing Grace inside what may be the first hymnal ever written. And so we took that hymnal home from Olney, England, and we said, well, let's just pick one and rewrite it. And the story of, like, it was more so capturing those stories, but we really believe that the church can sing these songs. We just got a little bit more creative in how we wrote them and how we recorded them this year. Mm -hmm. So I think there definitely is a little bit more artistic expression in this project for us. And we maybe weren't as mindful of our specific community as a church, and we took a little bit more risk. I definitely think at the end of the day, there's still songs for the church because that's a lot of them. That's where they originated from. You know, we would, we borrowed a lot of words. There's so much rich content in the old hymns. And yeah. so it was, it was really like mining for gold for us mm. in that process. That's Very awesome. Cool. Yeah. 
So even beyond music, though, you guys have a lot of outreach that you do. Talk to us a little bit about some of the other things you do to help reach communities. Yeah. Um, so on our tours, our our biggest um, one of the things we said was, how do we stay connected, not just to our church, but to the the larger church? Signing autographs and taking pictures is always a weird thing for us. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of said, what would be a counter to that? A way to stay connected without making it about this fan connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started doing these Q&As after our shows where we would just hang and kind of open to, for dialogue. And that really kind of, I think it met kind of that same desire for people to connect with us and, mm-hmm. and our desire to connect with them. And it meant we weren't running to the bus right after the show. And uh, and then beyond that, we do, uh, we've done worship leader lunches where we would contact local worship leaders and uh, we would spend an entire, you know, two or three hours with them and talk story and hear their, hear about their churches and their, you know, their struggles. It's like, we get it. We're there. We're leading worship, you know, and on staff at our church too. And, uh, and then last fall, instead of a regular touring model, we did this thing called the neighborhood tour. And we went to once one uh, particular area like demographic. So we went to like the Dallas area okay. and we did three shows around the Dallas area within like an hour or two driving. So mm-hmm. Waco, I think we were in Oklahoma somewhere and then outside Dallas. And then on the third day we hosted a worship conference. And so we, we reached out to all three of those communities mm-hmm. and said, Hey, on the fourth day, we want you to come here and spend the whole day with us. And, Very cool. and, uh, and our whole team was involved in that. So, you know, we had, breakout sessions on guitar playing and we had breakout sessions on how to create song lists and songwriting and uh, so for us that that just kind of it it helps balance us out from like i said that fantasy land of touring keeps us connected so that's been a big part of what we do on the road that's great how did that work out doing because that's kind of an interesting idea you're you're doing three shows and then one big one yeah it worked really well. The model actually came from a promoter in Canada and we did like four shows in Toronto or around Toronto. We we're like, how are people showing up every night to this? You know, it was like each night was a full night. And, and we were so people each night. Yeah, different people each night. And and their response was, Well, Canadians don't like to drive anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, we got really curious. So we were like, would this have could this work in the States? And yeah. And it worked like it was, you know, like we had we had maybe some smaller shows in terms of turnout. But for us, the beauty was that last day, that conference. Mm-hmm. And we actually didn't even play music that day. We just sat with anywhere from like 30 to 100 worship pastors and That's leaders. Great. And and it was really cool. Wow. So, yeah. That's awesome. So talking a little bit about your bigger picture, you've not only started writing songs for other people to sing you've written a lot of songs for other artists as well can you talk about yourself as a songwriter and has that always kind of been a goal of yours i think it's a natural expression of my internal dialogue it's kind of the way that things just kind of fall out has always been songwriting but there are days i wake up and i go is this what i do for a living like people trust me to write songs. That seems crazy to me because <laughs> uh, I just constantly doubt my ability to do that. And I think every session I go into, I'm like, I have nothing to offer. <laughs> and I almost, I think I'd almost rather start there than, well, I got this really great song. And cause you know, th- I think pride can get in the way too, sure. uh, in some ways. And, and so, yeah, it's always been 
a desire, but I never thought it could be a career. And so it blows my mind all the time that I get to do that and sit with other artists and hear about their life and translate that into a song, into a story that probably will resonate with a lot of other people. I think that's been the benefit of writing songs for the church is you learn what is the broader story and what is more accessible to people and how to communicate that. And uh, so I've really enjoyed that part of songwriting, turning that into a, a narrative that sounds familiar. And you have kind of an interesting You've talked a little bit about your uh, creative writing process. Yeah. How, how is yours different and how are you teaching it to other people? Yeah. Oh, I had this um, really cool experience this summer. I went and did a workshop with this woman named Pat Schneider. She's 82 and she wrote a book called How the Light Gets In. She's written tons of books, but I think it was 30 years ago she started this thing called the Amherst Writers and Artists Group in Amherst, Massachusetts. And her whole goal was to help people find their original voice. So she would sit with kids in impoverished parts of town. She would sit with uh, women in prison. She would sit with women who have been battered and abused. She would basically say, "You, your voice has been oppressed for so long. And she, she created this really safe creative writing process for people to find the thing that they've kind of kept inside of them. And I think as songwriters, we often struggle to find what our original voice is or we want we think we're supposed to write like someone else. And so I've kind of taken what I've learned from this workshop and I've started to infuse that into songwriting. We have a songwriting community at our church, Journey Church, and we took a retreat back in August. And I started the whole songwriting weekend with an exercise from that writing workshop. And it was crazy to see how people going back into their story and writing something creative, how it kind of unlocked this, not only this vulnerability, but this willingness to to share with other people and collaborate. And I really do believe it kind of set the tone for that whole weekend. And the next day, 20 people in, you know, five or six different groups wrote 16 songs in nine hours. And, wow. and it was one of the most beautiful, fruitful experiences of my life. And so I, I think that I think we all have an original voice and people are so stuck in that it has to be grammatically correct or, you know, as a songwriter, things have to rhyme or things have to, you know, it has to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And and uh, and I think there's a really beautiful thing to unfold in breaking that mold. And so I'm I'm beginning that process of of uh, inserting that creative writing process into songwriting. And I, I think there's going to be a really cool marriage down the road. Man, that's that's so fascinating to me because often we, we come into a session with a target we're trying to hit yeah. or a, uh, you know, this person needs a single or this person needs, yeah. that's so backwards. Mm. How, what does that actually look like in, in practice? Yeah. Um, the We sat with a girl the other day who's, um, she's been in the process of trying to figure out what her artistry looks like and what she has to offer. And she's a worship leader at a church out of town and she spent a lot of years here in Nashville and, and the comparison game, like it just, I think it just kind of started to crush her. And almost every time we sit with her usually turns into this long conversation and we'll usually go get coffee. I think maybe in the four (laughs) or five times we've written with her, we've written one song. And uh, so for us, the agenda is more the relationship than the song. And I think what happens in that, and I'm not saying that that's a really great business model because I don't think it is. <laughs> There's not a lot of money to be made in, if you're a songwriter counseling people through all of your songwriting sessions. Uh, but I think we've been given a lot of liberty in that 
you know, we have all sons and daughters as a, as a vehicle to, um, at, you know, to give us that freedom in those writing sessions to sit with people and go, here's our story. What's yours? And I think that for me, realizing that last week and just kind of pulling some of those truths out of her, she said this line that it really kind of landed on me. And she said, I just want to know, like, am I now who I was meant to become? And I was like, I don't know that we would have gotten there had we not spent the last hour talking about how heavy life has been lately. But that was the beginning. She probably wasn't thinking in terms of, oh, well, here's a genius song lyric <laughs> right no absolutely not absolutely not yeah. and but it was really beautiful to see that that was her internal voice yeah. coming out and it was you know i think it's one of the strongest lines in the song wow so, yeah that's that's pretty powerful yeah it's heavy yeah. yeah yeah it's awesome to be able to pull that kind of stuff out of people yeah. or just collaborate with people that feel that deeply yeah, yeah yeah and i think everybody does i think that's what what i'm learning is that um we sell ourselves short a lot and um, and we we hold ourselves to this crazy high standard that every song has to be better than the last song. But really, I think there's, if you can get to that truth within you, the success of a song is immeasurable. Yeah. And that I think that is the struggle in this industry is there is an easy way to measure success in this yeah. industry, but at what cost? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Well, so. I mean that that's amazing. You're you're sort of mentoring people just in your everyday creative writing process. I love it. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any specific things for I feel like maybe that you wouldn't even advertise this about yourself, but I feel like people are drawn to you as a leader mm-hmm. in the songwriting community. Are are you doing specific things that's like are you hosting a weekly mentor group for people wanting to become songwriters or what what are you what are you doing No but now that- I've got new ideas. <laughs> Thanks Seth. <laughs> I just feel like I've heard that around your name a lot mm, lately like man. Leslie's a leader in the songwriting industry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um no, I I I think that's forming that desire in me is definitely forming. This last year uh forming that songwriter group at our church. That was totally like from the Lord, I was walking into my kitchen one day and I heard the word fold. And I was telling my husband this later and he goes, do you think maybe God was talking about that laundry we've been ignoring in the guest room? <laughs> I was just I was my, like, I don't my know. My mind just went there. Yeah, I don't know if that's what he was telling me. But it led me to this passage of the Good Shepherd and to be in the sheepfold is to be in this place of safety. And we as a church have not been in that place for the last season. Mm. And so uh, the other part of that passage is the sheep know the shepherd by his voice. And so what as songwriters is our responsibility uh, to the church, and I think it is to interpret the voice of God and create music that people can, in the moment, go, this is God speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And so the whole songwriting community was birthed out of this desire to give our church songs that led us through this season of kind of being outside the fold, outside of what we would normally feel as safe or comfortable. Yeah. And so then that just birthed this desire in me. And so it's beginning and uh, we're, we're taking some time off from the road next year. And and my desire is to continue looking and leaning into that because it, it does happen on a day-to-day basis just in my relationships. And the more I talk about it, the more passionate I get about it. And I really believe that that there is a deep desire in a lot of artists and songwriters that want to get in touch with that original voice within them and go what do i have to offer and i think yourself is the answer to that question we yeah. all have ourselves to offer and that's that's better than any yeah any training or skill 
right. that you can mm-hmm. learn in school or from the school of hard knocks even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just be yourself. So so beyond music and beyond helping songwriters, you you guys also give back a lot. Talk to us a little bit about like Hands and Feet Project yeah. and stuff like that, other other things that you guys are involved with. Yeah, so um, Mark Stewart, who founded the Hands and Feet Project and Will McGinnis, they uh, have been a huge part of the Journey community, our, our church. And actually like a huge part of why All Sons and Daughters even exists because David and I both were a part of their project, the No Hope Collective, mm. several years ago. And so we have just fell in love with what Mark and Will do down at the Hands and Feet Project. And we've been begging for them and really trying to find out a way for us to take their child sponsorship model on the road. And mm-hmm. this year is the first year it's worked out. And I know there's a few other bands. Uh, the Reimagined Audio Adrenaline is currently, I think, out <laughs> with, they're, they're taking it out. But it's such a cool process for us to invite people into. It's almost like a boutique where, you know, you've got your Targets and your Walmarts, but you also have these like really cool places in downtown Franklin that you can only get this one kind of experience. And for us, Hands and Feet Project and the way they do child sponsorship, it's so personal and small and family oriented that it's a huge privilege for us to tell that story every night. And their family style care. So these kids, a lot of these kids come from like really abusive situations or they've come out of other orphanages where they have been neglected and not cared for and hands and feet does this turnaround for them gives them a home and a family and a place of belonging and i think more so than just saving kids they're actually going to change haiti i really believe that these kids that they are raising up are going to be the next generation of leaders in haiti i pray that they are and uh so yeah it's they they for us have been a huge organization. We've also partnered with an organization called Feed One, and they feed th- through their feeding program. They actually sponsor a lot of the kids in Haiti as well mm-hmm. at Hands and Feet. So it's always somehow been connected to Hands and Feet. Uh, they have a, a clothing line and an accessory line called Haiti Made. Okay. And a lot of the kids that age out of the orphanage, they're creating jobs for them. And oh, so wow. they're making leather goods and, you know, wool hats and oh. I don't think they wear them in Haiti so <laughs> flipping hot down there they're like what are these terrible heat devices only hipsters wear so yeah, exactly it's haitimade.org it's a really cool organization that is helping these kids get jobs so very cool. hands and feet that's awesome well uh I know you're busy thank you for stopping by the yeah. full circle music show absolutely Thanks where can for people check me. out all sons and daughters all sons and daughters.com and we're Easy on enough. You know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And we just have former music, full circle music show guest Mia Fields walk in. <laughs> Mia Fields, the one and only. <laughs> what do you what do you have to say about Leslie Jordan before, oh, before no. she leaves? Oh, she no. is a straight up legend. Oh, She's all the kinds of legendary. The girl can write songs with anyone, anytime, anyhow, anywhere. She's an amazing worship leader. And she's just in general a nice person. So if you bump into her at a coffee shop, definitely go say hi. I'm really glad you can't see <laughs> pretty, my face right now. pretty shining endorsement. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mia Fields taught me everything I know. So. <laughs> well, thanks for stopping in. Yeah, thanks Thank for having you. me. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Thanks for sticking around with us week after week. Our audience is growing every single week and a big part of that is those of you who have headed over to itunes and left us good ratings and reviews see when people go to search for their podcasts they look for those five star ratings and we really really appreciate your help in getting us some great ratings and great placement on itunes 
So head over to iTunes and do that if you haven't already. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho Scroggins. Just a quick shout out to Jericho. For those of you guys who listen to this show every single week, this is the man behind the curtain. He's the one producing these shows. So if you check him out on social media, send him a message, let him know how thankful you are for him doing all this hard work every single week to make this show possible. We will see you next week on the show, and thanks for sticking around with us.